Greetings, and welcome to the RPG Review Board Podcast. You're listening to episode 14. In this episode, the board administers their righteous judgment upon modern age, designed by several RPG powerhouse names, and was published in 2018 by Green Ronin Publishing. Modern Age uses the Age Dice Resolution System, which allows for fun and interesting choices for players, features multiple game modes, and provides many options for tabletop RPG play in the modern and near-future timelines. Join us as the board convenes in support of the betterment of tabletop gaming. Come now, the Honorable Representatives of the RPG Review Board. Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, all rise! The RPG Review Board is now in session. My name is John Case Tompkins. I'm joined by Heidi Faith, Trey Gordon, Adam Lawson, and Nathan Stanley. If the judgment of this court helps you find a new game, help us by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, how is everybody doing? Now, before anybody talks, I know that you were casting around for something to talk about. So while you continue to think and think about how your last week was or whatever, I'm going to tell a little story from this weekend. Um, my my lady love, my fiance, the light of my life, on <laughs> Sunday, we were, uh, we were in her house and uh, doing various things, and she had decided to mop the, uh, the bathroom. And um, now Heidi is the uh, ranking representative of the fair sex on this podcast. I'm going to ask... If this story raises crack, similar crack feelings, yeah, yeah, see if this, <laughs> if this sounds right to you. So she has got a new mop, and she's very excited Ooh. about this new mop. So the new mop is, I'm sure you've seen those, um, you, you see them <laughs> on, they advertise them on, on television, stuff like that. But the ones that you can okay. step on the, you put the mop head in this little, little uh, kind of oh, spin cycle. Bucket? And, and then you spins? push, the, you you use the <laughs> use your foot to ring the mop, right? Okay, now oh, cal- calm down, man. calm down. I'm not done. No. So this 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 particular down, mop, sir. yeah, yeah, this particular mop <laughs> has a two chamber section. So you Ooh, fill the tub up at the top fancy. with your hot, clean water and your soap. You put okay. that into the top of the regular bucket. And then what you the top water is clean. So when you rinse your mop, the rinsed water, dirty water, goes down to the bottom receptacle, and your clean water is up top that you put you know you 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 dip your mop in for to continue to clean. Okay, so it's okay. kind of this two tiered okay. mop and bucket system. She's very very excited, very very excited to try this. Like she's like this is the most excited I've been all week. Sounds like wizard mind. nonsense yeah, to yeah. me. I, yeah, it's very I, magic. No, this sounds so like she, science. Yes. She's, yeah, she's down there, and I'm hearing her exclaim. You know, I, I can't really hear her. I'm upstairs. I can't really hear her, but she's exclaiming excitedly, right? You know, she apparently things are working out well with the, with the mop. <laughs> and I come downstairs, and I'm like, so. I'm assuming you were upstairs, like vacuuming or something, right? Let's assume that I was doing something Say properly yes. uh, uh, yes. assistant. Yes. No, but so I come downstairs wasn't. and I, I say, so how's the new mop? And she looks at me over the top like she's got the mop in the bucket. She's like, I would leave you for this mop and bucket. So Heidi, I, I assume that that's you can you can you know where she, whereof she speaks. Oh Lord! Yes, yes, yes! I'll have what she's having for sure. <laughs> oh my God! Oh, I haven't thought about that movie in a long time. Okay. Um, One of the best movies ever, yeah. for sure. As you were describing this mop, it kind of sounded like she was loading it like a crossbow. Like you step into <laughs> it, <laughs> use your full weight to yeah. bring it out. Yeah. Yep. Sounds like a, yep. a stirruped crossbow. Yeah, that's a that's a masterwork mop. It's got plus one to hit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's yeah. Um, for but sure. Anyway. I see. I see the interconnection here for sure. Yeah. I like uh, for sure. 
But but to be clear, I love a good vacuum or mop. So I get it. And okay. I support your lady. Okay. Well that's that's good. Okay. Well <laughs> so that's that's my weekend. I I I Ooh, I was informed exciting. of where I placed in the uh, you know the the home hierarchy. And uh, that my my position is in jeopardy due to a mop. So so there you go. Uh, Nathan, how about you? Since the last time we recorded was Halloween. So uh, yeah, that's been kind of my life the last last weekend. Is it last weekend? Weekend before, something like that. Halloween's been your life. You're living right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, as as someone who likes uh, costumes, yes. As a uh, diabetic, no. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> so uh, oh. so you know, been going to parties and hanging out with people. Some friends of mine have a have a new house, and they were really excited to have trick or treaters. So I went over to their place and. You know, got to see lots of costumes and everything. It was a lot of fun. Other than that, I, I guess the only thing I've been up to is discovering Heidi's love of mops. That's that's <laughs> who knew. It's, it's new information. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah that's, this is that's new data. information that I can use. use. I could use in the future. Yeah. I'm an OCD person. With <laughs> love of a clean house for sure. Oh my god. Okay. Well, listen, Heidi. You you call this upon yourself. Then how have you been doing? Oh, you guys, can I tell you something? How? Please do. Yeah. Please. <laughs> yes. How did I know I'm old? I know that I'm old because this weekend I helped my friend move. Oh. <laughs> oh, and I love him. I love him. I love his wife. I love their kids. But man, you guys. <sighs> We lifted so many boxes. Uh, I can so feel where this stairs. is going. Yeah, yeah, by the end. And <laughs> I, I have no complaints because in the end, I got paid by the love of my friends and I got paid by the love of pizza. Yes. Mm. Right? Yeah. That is the that's traditional that's gift, solid. yes. That's a traditional fun gift when you help one move. But um, yeah. I, the next day, was like, holy crap. I am so old. I cannot pick Welcome, sister. Up. Welcome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm officially old. Like, essentially, I was done. So that's, I don't have any fun things to report as far as my last couple weeks have been. It's a lot of, hey, lifting heavy things, moving them from one spot to another. Not great. However. <laughs> Mops and eggs. However, I will tell you, this week, I have to look forward to, I'm going to go see some wrestling on Wednesday night. Woo! Yes. Well. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yes. All right. I'm, I'm, nice. I'm going to go see. I'm going to go see a recording of AEW Dynamite, and I'm really excited. There's going to be a Brian Danielson match versus Rocky Romero. I'm super stoked for it. <laughs> so <laughs> tell me, are you planning on yelling and hollering and getting really into it and staying up late? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. R remember how you felt after you moved? <laughs> Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, no. I'm here to take you under my wing. You are now, you've been promoted to junior geezer, right? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. And as the elder geezer, I'm here to tell you. Elder geezer. Get the geezer. hot water ready. Wow. Get the, get, get, get the Epsom salts. <laughs> the Epsom right? salts. There you go. Yeah. Something to gargle with. Some nice honey tea. Yeah. 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 Well, okay. Trey, how have you been? <laughs> Well, it's funny you should ask. Within the theme here, because Halloween and because my wife and I are very active in our local community theater, our, our theater had a midnight performance of the Rocky Horror Show. And we went for, to the midnight show and it was just unreasonably good. It was really fun. The audience was in, the performances were on people were singing along and dancing and throwing stuff and doing all the things that you're supposed to do at Rocky Horror and I just 
it was so much better than I ever could have hoped. And when it was over, we were like elated. It was like two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock. We're walking home. We get home. I'm not over it yet. (laughs) (laughs) I am still not rested. My body has not recovered. My voice is still messed up. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I am still not bounced back from that. Love it. Adam, you bouncing back from anything? <laughs> A little bit, yes. So, um, uh, I, we, not my lady love and I and my kids, we threw home improvement and the mundane chores away for the week. And a couple of weeks ago, we took a vacation. So we traveled to Mexico, just threw all of our responsibilities away for a little while. Nice. So that was very fun. Um, we have done cruises before. We were kind of forced into this one. We bought a cruise two years ago and of course in the world shut down. And so we had some credits to use that we had to use before the end of this year. So we used those and uh, felt very safe traveling. I know international travel is kind of a big question mark right now, but felt very safe they were they booked the ship at at like 30 percent capacity so we had all kinds of room to move around so it was uh, it was a lot of fun and uh, we saw some really cool stuff got a little culture in my life and just was able to relax very nice wow so you're recovering from your recovery (laughs) yeah that's right yeah (laughs) nice no that's lovely yeah absolutely lovely okay let's turn our eyes towards our game under discussion for this week and that is the game modern age adam do you want to take the lead on describing this sure okay yeah i can give it a shot so i i bought it i ran it um i had my eye on it for a while for those of you who are familiar with green ronin as a publishing company they their flagship game system is mutants and masterminds but they also have the license for a couple of other things including dragon age the rpg that's usually played pc or console but uh, they made a tabletop adaptation on it that was very well received so they took the system that they designed for it and they implemented it in a couple of other ways including a fantasy version called fantasy age and this modern version called modern age and so it's very similar in mechanics to the dragon age rpg it uses 3d6 plus some uh, ability modifiers to resolve certain tests The uh, extra little thing that they have in this system is that one of these D6s is a different color or shape or some way different than the other so that if you roll doubles, then you stunt on your turn. And the number of pips on that special die, the stunt die, will indicate how many stunt points you have to spend on these different tables. And that's what I think really makes it unique. So the uh, PDF is available on the Green Ronin web store for 19 bucks. The hardcover for 35 came out uh, in 2019, I think. So it's been out for a while. It has some great support for it, including some extra splat books. And that's the same system is used in Modern Age, Fantasy Age, Dragon Age. Um, they also have the license for the Expanse RPG based on that intellectual property, Blue Rose, and Titan's Grave. Okay, I know, I've heard of I've heard of several of those things. I've I had, but I had never played the age system. I think we should probably start with character creation. That was an interesting experience, I think, for all of us. But before we do that, I'm going to turn to I don't want to want to call this like statistician's corner. It's it's the box that we keep Nathan in. But um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just think it's it's interesting Nathan. that. What you're doing is you're rolling 3d6 and you're you're trying to hit a target number. So it is in some ways the same as rolling a d20 because the numbers are about the same distribution, if I'm correct, Adam. Well, yeah, I mean, in the sense that a d20 has 1 to 20 on it and right. a 3d6, you're going to get 3 to 18, yeah. which is close. It's close. Introducing a bell curve is, is right, the and that's, tricky part. That's what I'm sort of interested in is that, like, you've got this but it's a little less swingy, right? Yeah, sort of on its face. And I, I don't want to talk over Nathan here, but basically the way it works out is that a plus one bonus on a D20 is like a 5% increase. When multiple dice are involved, you can kind of, the way the math works out in a 3D6 system, like a plus one in a 3D6 system would be kind of like a plus two would be in a D20 system. But when those numbers get bigger, you can really see it shine. Like a plus seven in a 3D6 system would feel like a plus 14 if you were rolling a straight like one D20 system. So those bonuses really do add up because it shifts the bell curve so significantly. You do have this relatively similar, I don't know, range to think about, but you're just not going to be, I don't know, you're just not, it's not going to be a swingy. You're going to roll bad. I mean, I roll bad plenty. 
one of the interesting things about having multiple dice like that is that it really sharpens that bell curve. Like it's going to trend very strongly towards that like 10 to 11 range, right? It's it's not even most people understand there's there's a bell curve when you roll 2d6s, but every time you add an extra die that bell curve becomes more of a a point. Like it skews hard towards that center. So yeah, you do have the opportunity to roll an 18, but it is vanishingly, I mean, think about it. It's triple sixes. Like how often do you roll that in risk? Yeah. So right. Sure. That, that is an incredibly nerdy reference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, we that's wouldn't fair. have it any other way, really. Yeah. yeah that's fair. Nerd. Um, <laughs> yeah. The other thing I would mention as well, and for reasons that will become more apparent as we discuss it, um, you really want to roll doubles on two of your dice or three, I guess you could, you could get away with triples is fine. But if you, if you do, uh, you get an extra little, little kicker to your roll. And that happens like half the times that you roll, which seems counterintuitive, but because you're rolling three dice rather than two, it's actually fairly often. Fairly often. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, let's talk about the stunt thing, but I want to do character creation first because character creation actually threw me for sort of a loop. Adam, you said, Hey, we're going to play this modern age. And I was thinking, okay, it's a game set in in kind of the contemporary world. I'm going to get to build a character. And you don't build a character. You roll up a character, and that character is pretty random. You get a couple of choices. Adam, I don't want to burden you with it, uh, like having to describe the entire character creation system, because it took us a while, the group of us. But can you just say briefly what you do? Sure, yeah. So the way it's laid out in the book is that it's a nine-step process. And I wouldn't say that it's significantly more complex than any other fully featured RPG, such as Dungeons & Dragons or something like that. But it is definitely different. And the way we did it was the default method, which was to roll for your ability scores and to throw you a bone to get the kind of character that you'd want. You do have the option to switch two of those nine abilities. You can, you know, hey, I rolled this for, you know, accuracy. I'd rather that be in fighting so I can flip it if I choose. But there are options for building your character more tailored towards the one you envision in your head. They are optional rules, and they're just a paragraph or two to to choose. You could do a point-by system or sort of arranging your abilities the way that you choose, but by default, it's just rolling randomly. So the nine-step process is to get, you know, your background and your professions, which give you other bonuses on top of that. So we rolled them randomly, and we still came out with some fully fleshed-out characters, but it wasn't by default the type of thing where you say, I'm going to build the fighty guy. You'd really be limited uh, to do that with just the one choice that you make early in your ability focuses. And how, how did the rest of you encounter that? Because for me, it, it, was, it felt very strange. I'm an advocate of random character generation because I like sort of playing the cards you're dealt. I think that's interesting. But for some reason... It was a modern RPG. It's like, no, I should be able to build my character. And I don't know if this is because I had a specific idea in mind, but what was your, for the rest of you, what was your impression of the character creation system as you were going through it? Definitely like it for the sense of, like, for me, I can get stuck, right? And I think many of us can. We can get stuck in our own, even if we think, oh, I'm, this is unique or that's unique. Mm, is it? Because a lot of times we tend to be drawn toward the same type of character. So I actually, I very much liked that in this. It was like, no, I don't really have a say. I have to, like, this is what I'm dealt with. And... And the character specifically that I was dealt with, she did not like it. I'll say that, right? Like I, I made it, it was, it was a whole character that her father had been an academic and she was an academic and she didn't want to be. She very much wanted to be out in the field researching, doing kind of the the nitty gritty stuff. And uh, she didn't want to be in a classroom. How how much of that did you decide on and how much of that was generated randomly? Uh, Well, really uh, generated for me uh, because I wasn't sure. So I'll, I'll say this, when we went into this, this character creation for me felt very heavy. It's this particular game is very character creation heavy. It's it's very loaded at the beginning. Like there's a lot 
of whoever your DM is has to know what they're doing. So kudos to you, Adam, because whoever is running this game has to know what they're doing from the output. Once you're in it, it's a D6 game. It's not crazy hard, but the beginning is a little rough because there's a lot of, you have this book, you have this sheet, you have that sheet, and it's a little like roll for this, pick this, pick that. And, so and that's in play, right? As opposed to character creation. Oh, no, that's, I think the character creation. I mean, we took a whole night, us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as yeah a group, we had a session zero. character we... creation, you know, yeah. whereas normally I feel like we as a group can kind of do a character creation and go. Yeah, yeah. This particular game took a little more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of like roll on a table. All right, pick one of these two things. All right, roll on another yeah. table. You get this. Yeah. Now pick another another one of these two things. And it, it, it felt a little bit at the beginning, again... Many kudos to Adam for helping out with this, but it did feel like you were kind of groping in the dark. You're like, what? What am I? How am I gonna? You know? I had no clue. Yeah. I had no clue. For me, okay. So I say this is the person who comes to this group as probably, well, no, not probably, knowingly the least experienced. <laughs> You're not a right? monstrous like, beast like several of us, yes. Oh no. Oh no. Oh lord. No, but like I don't I don't know, you know? So it's like I come into this and it's like what are we doing? You know? Like what the what? Like so for me, I will say this. The initial character creation took a lot of rolling, took a lot of patience, and once you had it, it was like, "Hey, how can you work with your boundaries? Mm. I, at first, I was like, what am I going to do with this? But ultimately, man, that's a really great challenge. How do you work with your boundaries? This is what you roll for. That's what you roll for. This is what you roll for. How do you make it fit in the in-between? And for me, it was like, okay. I rolled for a few various things. I initially had some ideas what I wanted from what Adam told us about the initial storyline ultimately my character came out nothing like what I thought it would be and that's okay it came out way more fun yeah it's well I've always thought that restriction in character creation is interesting uh um Trey what were you gonna say I had a strange experience of this we 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 rolled up our characters and then it was a little while before we played our first session, our, our session zero, and then a bit of time passed um, between that session zero and our session one. I'd had a lot of time to kind of envision this character. And when we were talking about it later, I remembered having had a lot more agency than I actually had had. <laughs> and I think that speaks to how good this character creation system is. I was very happy with the character that I got. And the fact that there's all this random rolling, you roll to find out your, what your background is. You, you're going to roll randomly to find out what your profession has been. And every time you roll one of these random things, you get to pick a couple of things that have to do with that. Once you guys reminded me of how we had actually rolled the character up, and I started thinking back, I realized that I rolled that my character was going to be an aristocrat. And my mind immediately went to the P.G. Woodhouse books and uh, Bertie Wooster, right? And all of his chums and pals. And I immediately pictured that. And so every time I rolled up some other thing, like Explorer was going to be my, my, my profession, I just kind of picked things that kind of seemed to work with that. He ultimately at the end was not what I'd pictured at the beginning, but I was able to guide him in such in, in ways that still made him kind of fit the general idea that I had had to begin with. Trey, you and I like-minded on this. <laughs> we are mind-milled. We are of one. We are of yeah. one. That's on right. This, my friend. Sharing a brain. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel like the random generation forced me to creatively think of how I was going to get him to be the guy I wanted him to be anyway. 
And it made me come up with some stuff I wouldn't have had to come up with otherwise. And I think he was a much more interesting character to play as a result. As a result awesome. of, of of kind of dealing Love with it. these these things that you didn't quite want or they weren't quite perfect. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. No, that's, that is interesting. I, I felt sort of the same way. I had pictured a kind of a, a brawler, but my stats didn't really support that. And I ended up being something completely different. Okay, let's talk about gameplay. Which, as we've already said, and Adam has already kind of laid out, the standard sort of play has to do with making tests, usually against a statistic. Sometimes you get pluses for, for certain things, but you roll 3d6, and you get these doubles, which we've talked about. When you double on a die, so I roll two fours, two twos, whatever it is, then I look to my stunt die, which is the one die that's different, and that gives me a certain number of points. Now, here's the interesting thing. It turns out that shopping as a human experience is a whole lot of fun. And in most I told you that. In most <laughs> R- yes, well, in most RPGs there is a shopping not most. Several RPGs have a shopping experience. The shopping experience usually happens when you go up a level. Hey, you went up a level. Here's some points or here's some like choices that you can now uh, affect the way your character develops. In this game, every time you roll doubles, you get to go shopping, which I think is really interesting. Adam or Nathan, can you kind of talk about the stunt tables? Uh, yeah, so the stunt tables really are informed by the type of action that you're taking. Let me just grab some of these stunt tables. So if you're if you're in combat, your your melee, ranged, or general stunts are going to apply. So you'll grab that sheet, and if uh, you're buying the Modern Age Core Book, I also encourage you to buy the GM screen because it comes with the charts plucked right out of there, and they're laminated, and you can, you know write on them and, and hand them around the table. But really, you'll grab one of those. So there's an infiltration stunts section that gives you several options, an investigation stunts, chase stunts, exploration, anti-vehicle stunts. So they fall under these different categories, and it's going to be intuitive for the action that you're taking, which chart you look at. But the number of stunt points generated is the number on your stunt die. So if you do get doubles, regardless of which dies are doubles, the number of pips on your stunt die indicates how many stunt points you have. And you can spend them until they're gone, but they're only active for the action that you're taking. So an example of a investigation stunt is flashback. Flashback costs one point. So if you have four points to spend, you could do that four times. Or you could do that plus something that costs three or something like that. And it gives a short description of what the stunt actually does. So for flashback, it's like, oh, I actually do have that rope. Uh, It's like the flashback scene in uh, Blades in the Dark, for example. And so each one of these stunts are very unique and they sort of inform the action that you're taking that make you do it better, cooler, more interesting, more powerful, uh, more versatile. And uh, Nathan, I think you call this ordering off a menu. Yeah, I I really enjoy games that kind of give you that experience. Like Like you said, just shopping in general is fun give somebody 20 bucks and tell them to go buy something they're gonna have a good time doing it (laughs) and the same is true when you roll when you roll doubles and you get stunt points and you get to look at this menu of things and you get to choose things off of that menu as many as you can afford to do and the fact that that happens half the times you roll makes it really interesting there is a a certain amount of overhead early on as you kind of learn your character and what sort of stunts you're going to be doing in what situations. But ultimately, you're going to find out that you're going to have, you know, two or three stunts in each category that you favor and uh, you'll be rolling with those usually. But um, yeah, it's a lot of fun, and it and it also provides a way of just adding narrative to the to the game. I think one of the things that Adam was really smart in telling us when we were playing the game is that a lot of times you say uh, this is the thing I'm going to do, and then you roll to see if you accomplish the thing you set out to do. In modern age, it sometimes behooves you to basically be a little bit of a minimalist when you describe your actions so that you can then get to embellish them with your stunt points that you that you use later. It, it, is, it is neat to have that thing sitting there. The idea that when I roll something, I don't have to remember something that I did or that like, oh, I took this feat to two levels ago that gives me a plus one or I get to do this special thing. You made that decision a long time ago. 
Here, the thing is right there in front of you. Hey, I just rolled a stunt point. Let me see what I want to do. Yes, I would like the creme brulee. That sounds great. Again, I want to do both sides of this here because as fun as that is as a player, uh, Adam, you were the our GM. Like, how does that feel having having those menus available to the players? Most of the time, there is not a lot of overhead for the GM there, but occasionally there will be some times where I was a little caught off guard, and perhaps I shouldn't have been because I did look these over. Some of these things do require you to have to be quick on your feet. Investigation stunts are a great example. There are a time when a player could spend a stunt point to have the GM reveal an interesting clue or something that, that you find, or an interesting additional fact about something that you're investigating. And you better have one ready because it's cheap. It only costs one stunt point and it's going to come up a lot. And initial take of this is that you want those stunt points to always feel cool for your character. And if they're investigating and their character's focused on investigating and they're going to play that stunt more often, then you know, you're going to want some of those details on, on hand. The combat stunts really are just cool things that you can adapt at the table on the fly. The infiltration and investigation stunts have the possibility to put you in a spotlight that you may not be prepared for. So knowing that ahead of time is always good advice. Yeah, I think one of the, I think one of the four-point investigation stunts allows you to, like, skip ahead to, you, you've got them right there in front of you. Um, Am I remembering There was that some right? that was like, you can, you recognize that one of the plot points is red herring or something like that. Right, yeah, or you get to skip a plot point or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's the sort of thing that as, yeah, as the, as the GM that can be like, oh, well, I was expecting that to, um, you know, to, to occupy more of their time than, and now it's not going to. And that's interesting because Nathan, you were saying that you're, probably going to roll doubles quite a bit, right? Because you've got three random number generators. Getting yeah, all eight, yeah. Getting all sixes is going to be difficult, but two sixes, two twos, whatever it is, that's going to happen. It's a little counterintuitive, but yeah, it's it's something like 52%. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I, I, I would like to back this up right now and say that I rolled two twos many, many times. So <laughs> I... <laughs> So yes, I can confirm, my friends. <laughs> it should be mentioned as well that, you know, in order for those stunt points to matter, you still have to succeed at the check. So I should mention that sure. 52% of rolls are going to result in stunt points, but not all of those will be successful checks either. So right. you do have to keep that in mind as well. Yeah, that, that is true. And But it, it, it does mean that if you're thinking about being a GM for this game, you're there is going to be a certain amount of improv that it just comes with the territory because you're going to see these, you're going to see a player shopping on that menu quite a bit. It's going to come up. Okay. I, I also wanted to hit um, briefly the idea of different types of game modes or system modes, because of course we're talking about a game that is ostensibly describing the modern age. And we can talk about that in a couple of ways. So one, I mean, obviously we did combat, but there are all sorts of things, there social interactions, that sort of stuff. But there's also an interesting kind of difficulty mode, Adam, right? Yes. So the first couple of pages of the book describe sort of the general vibe of the game and how it should be run. But it also offers to the game master and the table the choice between running the game in gritty mode, pulpy mode, or cinematic mode. And all of the numbers that you see throughout the book are assuming that you're running the game in gritty mode. Gritty mode can impact a couple of things. Really, they fall under two, two categories. They can impact things like combat, how damage works, toughness, and how armor works. Um, and they also inform which stunts from the different charts are available. And it's pretty easy to notice because they're color-coded. And so a particular stunt that's only available in gritty mode will be highlighted in the color, the red color. So it'll indicate when they're available. That, that does sort of inform some of the options that you have available, particularly in combat. That's the biggest place that it affects it. And also sort of in the narrative with how the stunt points work. Right. Well, and it also, if you're thinking about a modern world, it, you know, to, to use a cinematic reference, like you're deciding almost like what filter to put on this, right? Am I doing Savored Private Ryan? 
Or am I doing Captain America the First Avenger, right? They're both technically about World War II, but they are very different looks at World War II. And but that's that is an interesting thing to just lay out up front for the the GM or the, the group to decide, hey, what kind of story are we telling? What mode fits this story best? And then I I also think, I don't know, Adam, this is a question I had just in general. Because you were running this game, I didn't get to kind of see behind the, the GM screen. But what sort of resources are available for the GM to handle things like computers, cybercrime, or in any number of kind of modern things that, you know, the, a dungeon master doesn't have to worry about? So that's uh, a great question. This is not, it's pushing almost 200 pages for this for this book. The game mastering section, there are six pages dedicated to game mastering. And so there are a few paragraphs for things like story truck structure and different types of scenes, social interactions, things like, well, you know, computers are going to be in modern, traditional modern, but you know, we didn't have a lot of them. We had a few. Um, and so how those will play in. Advice for the Game Master, six of those 200 pages are dedicated to that. So you're really only getting a few paragraphs of that sort of support. There are also about 10 pages dedicated to just world building in general. And a lot of that section and those 10 pages for world building are color coded to say like, really, you only need to care about the stuff that's highlighted in red or the stuff that's not highlighted in all, at all if you're running a gritty game. But if you're running a pulpy game, then you look at the stuff that's in the yellow box. And if you're running a cinematic game, you look at the stuff in the green box. So there are there is some uh, advice and resources there for a game master for that type of, of design. I think your best bet, however, is just perusing the included adventure that's in the book. Because, you know, that totals about 16 pages worth of advice covering three different game modes. Your best bet is to just look at the included uh, adventure to sort of see how encounters are, are built. Well, and I, I love role-playing game sets that include an adventure to say, hey, this is how this should go down. Ten pages to world building and six pages to game mastering. I loved all of it, but for a 200-page book, that's not a a lot for for game master advice. It's sufficient, probably, but uh, experience and looking at other examples is probably your best bet. I did want to make one other point about the differences between the modes. As the person who was running the game, it meant that I was very much involved in, like, I needed to tell you how much damage your weapon did or how this particular mechanic works. And one of the things that... uh, that the game sort of assumes, but it doesn't put it right in your face, is that all of the stats for everything assume that you're running it in gritty mode. And perhaps it could have done a better job of telling you, like, these are all gritty mode assumptions. Mm. Um, Because it is true that every weapon does an additional two damage if you hit in the other two modes that aren't gritty mode. That means pulpy and cinematic. So 66% of the time, you have this thing you have to remember that's just an asterisk on that chart that says, you know, a pistol does 2d6 damage. But in two out of the three game modes, it's actually 2d6 plus two. Yeah. So just little things like that, that, you know, most of the time you're going to be adding two unless you're always running a gritty game. But once you've sort of focused in on the type of game you're running, that may become more intuitive. But I know I forgot it a handful of times. Yeah, that would be, yeah, I mean, like, I think that would be one of those things that's just annoying for the first month. And then you're like, okay, yeah. I always add two. Okay, I want to move on to a discussion of who we think this game is for. But before we do that, I want to make sure that everybody has mentioned the things they wanted to mention. Uh, I note in our so we have we have we have notes here about what we want to talk about. Nathan has vehicular manslaughter in all caps. Uh, I don't know if if that was <laughs> I don't know if that was something you actually wanted to talk about or if it was just rejoicing. If you just wanted to brag about that amazing <laughs> thing he did on our last session. I just want to mention anybody that happens to like cars out there, you know, you can drive <laughs> cars in this game. And yes, you can run people over with them. There are rules for it. And I exploited that to the best of my ability. And it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. It was very, yeah. it was epic. Uh, I, it yeah. Was. I Easy. thought that was... <laughs> I thought that was just rejoicing. <laughs> I would say Bragging. one of the greatest actions taken that I've ever oh, yeah. seen. <laughs> right, now, right now, I'm basically just weighing how is it, how likely is it I'm going to run for public office later in life. 
right. I think I can come no out as pro-vehicular manslaughter. Pro <laughs> <laughs> well, we'd rather have you do it in a fantasy world than in real life. That's so right. this exactly. is how you have to get it out of your system, then yeah. that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone who's thinking about voting for future Nathan, yeah. you know, he, he's already got all the vehicular manslaughter out of his system. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. He's unlikely to want to do it again. That's right. I'll I'll put it this way. Should we ever do a Patreon and want to include, hey, do you want to know what we did in this game or that game? We could include things like how did Nathan <laughs> run over a Commit vehicular manslaughter? Or yeah. Yeah. how, for example, <laughs> did Dr. Case Tompkins dance his way into <laughs> um um i don't know a bevy of of um cops you know you know hat. we needed information uh and i had uh i would say that the, is I, would, I had the assets to gain that you information did. <laughs> and i used those assets to the betterment of the team you know it's the better yeah, of the taste. It was your rugged good looks that did it. Exactly. Okay. All right. Enough of this. Yeah. Trey, you had something you wanted to say. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask Adam, the setting that we used was a pretty specific setting. And it was a great setting. I, I, I found it immediately engaging. But how easy would it be to play this rule set in, you know, the late 20th century or the 1920s? Or, you know, is it transferable easily to any modern setting? Yes. Yeah. So really, there's a lot of different genres and there's write-ups with a couple paragraphs of each is including like adventure and alternate history and including in exceptionals, people with powers, which is a rule set that we didn't really get into, a subsystems for having superpowers, heists, horrors. We kind of did sort of a post-apocalyptic. There was procedurals and urban fantasy. All of the ones that I just mentioned are have a write-up for how to sort of tailor your world to them. But you could also have it run different eras altogether, like Black Powder and Age of Sail and, and Old World and Victorian. And there are write-ups for those as well. It also does a good write-up of writing like, if you're familiar with world history between, you know, this date range. Here's an example of one, 1650 to 1720. Here are some high seas things, and here's some advice on which game mode might be appropriate. All the way, you know, to West and Western and Steam punk and gothic horror and all kinds of stuff so i would say it's it's easy to adapt it to those things and the rule sets certainly support it and there's a little bit of support in the core book for for running a game in that sort of world okay then i think we're about ready to do our our who's this game for segment i'll get us started i think that this game is for a group of like if if you have a group of people you play together regularly and you have been looking for some system to allow you to play some adventure or story or idea that you've had for the modern age, this is probably as good as you're going to get because this will allow you to do a whole bunch of different things. If you wanted to run an X-Files style game, this would work just fine. If you wanted to run James Bond spy stuff, this would work just fine. It could be your default sort of modern world system. And I would say that that's who it's for. If you're searching for a default modern world, this is your game. Nathan, what do you think? First off, I think it's for experienced GMs. Well, um, yeah. I think, I think you don't want to tackle this game if you're not ready to think on your feet and to respond to rapid changes in plans. Because as was mentioned earlier, you could have an interesting plot point set up or whatnot, and it just gets skipped or just revealed to the players via some stunt points. So that is something to keep in mind if you're thinking about running this game. If you're thinking about playing this game, it's for players that that really enjoy the very cinematic gameplay. I know I hesitate to use that word because that's one of the game modes that Adam mentioned earlier, but more of just... You know, the, the way these stunt points work, they turn your actions into these very flashy movie-like actions that are, are really interesting and entertaining. So if you're somebody that really likes games that kind of help you out and help you be cool, this is definitely for you. Yeah, I agree. Trey, what do you think? Who's this for? This game is for people who want a full-featured rule set. 
we've been reviewing lately a lot of a lot of mini games and things like that and this is not that at all this is very much a full featured rule set i think it is pretty quick to learn for dms i think nathan's right you're going to want to you're going to want to have a lot, have a lot of experience from a player's point of view things are pretty intuitive and i think the character generation system it took us a long time to generate our characters in our session 0 but I think that if you played this game for a long time, for months and months, you'd get that. That that wouldn't be hard after your second or third shot. A lot of the things were just, you know, us being unfamiliar with the rules. But once you generate one or two characters in this system, I think that it would get easy and fast. One of the things that's fast about it is b because of how restrictive character creation is, I think it would speed that up a lot. I mean, I can agonize forever over a D&D &D character. You know, there are so many choices and you just, you know, you're going flipping back and forth in the book going, okay, if I do this, I'm going to have, you know, uh, there's, this, there's this feat that I can take at third level, but right now I need to do... There's none of that. You know, you're going to roll some dice, you're going to make a couple of choices, you're going to roll the dice, make a couple of quick choices, and they are quick choices. And you're, you're playing. It's it's not hard. So, yeah, I, I, I think that if you want to play a modern game, you want to be able to switch from, like, like you were saying, from a Lovecraft-based game to, I don't know, um, gangsters in the 1930s, then this is your game. You know, it's and if you've got an experienced DM who's good at thinking on his feet, then, yeah, you're going to love it. Heidi, what about you? What do you think? So when I thought of this game, I thought D and D light, right? Mm. That that was my perspective, huh. right? I, I really did. I it's not. It, I'm not even gonna compare them necessarily. Like I, they're very different games. However, I thought for me, I I, I think for me when I approach games, I approach them as far as complexity. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. and, right. and so this game for me, it felt a little bit like in the beginning, intimidating, complex, a little like a lot, actually, actually a, a lot of character built. So for me, in the beginning, this felt very much like almost like, okay. Even though the builds are very different because you're rolling for your characters in this versus you're picking in D&D, &D, it felt very like there's a very kind of slow and steady build to that character. It's it's definitely different because you, you do roll for it. So a lot of things are just decided for you and you kind of have to work within that, which that can be hard or easy as far as you choose. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think for me, it came off as a very D&D light kind of perspective because it was like, all right, this is, it's just a little complex from the setup. But once you get going, holy crap, this is a ton of fun. Yeah, there there is a kind of, um, uh, and I think a lot of people experience that with D&D, with &D, especially modern D&D, &D, is that it, it feels there's a kind of front load of complexity and everything looks very confusing. And then as soon as you get past that, if you can get past that initial hump, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and I, I felt that with this game as well. Adam, who is this for? I think this game is for a group who wants a non-class-based system that's not D20. Mm. Mm. You could do everything this, this does with D20 Modern. I think it does it differently, and I think it does it in a more cinematic way, like Nathan was saying. But if you want to learn a system that can run any of your games, and you don't want to run a class-based or a D20 and or a D20 system, you could pick this and pretty much be good to go with any of the types of games you'd want to include, including supers, you know, with powers that, that we didn't really involve ourselves with. But it can handle anything you throw at it. I did want to mention, of course, you know, there is a lot of overhead for the GM, like Nate was saying, and certainly in play. But yeah, with character creation, like Trey and Heidi was, was talking about, you can build your character without rolling randomly. I don't advise it, at least for your first session, because there's, for backgrounds alone, there's four social classes. Each social class has 
three backgrounds, that's 12 backgrounds, and each one has eight choices, that's 96 choices. I'm not doing that for four players. <laughs> I couldn't give you nine, 96 <laughs> times four, and then it just gets astronomical with all of the possible choices and optimizing your character. We had a lot of fun rolling for our characters randomly. You could build them, but it's you're not going to do it you know, as quickly until you're more familiar with the system. So I like that you roll randomly initially. And of course, as you become more familiar, you can, you know, the overhead for character creation is, is less at that point. But, um, but yeah, I, I do agree that play is relatively in- intuitive. The one thing that I had to re-familiarize myself with was that there are nine ability scores and some of them sort of overlap. It's not unheard of to have that many, you know, World of Darkness has been doing it for years, but is this accuracy or is this dexterity? You know, is this fighting or is this strength? So that you got to learn that, but you're going to learn that with any new system. So um, those were the important takeaways that I had. But any any group who wants to a, a system, I say generic, but a fully featured system that can be run in any in any type of world, this is the system for you. Right. And I do think that you would have I think for a lot of people, you'd have that initial hump of learning the system, and then it would just be smooth. That's going to be the case in in any full-featured system that's well-designed, I think, as this one is. I, I would also, a lot of people that I know would be put off by the fact that character creation by default is random and want to either not try the game or just go straight for the non-random character generation. And I want to echo what Adam said and say, try it. Just try it. It really works very well. The random character generation system is well designed and try it. If you hate it, then then go non-random and off you go. But I'd encourage you to try. I agree. I agree. I think it forces you out of your comfort zone. I, I think that this game, my initial push with it was that kind of system. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of funky to like give yourself up to the gods if you will the die gods you know it's it's definitely an interesting thing because you you very much want to develop your own characters but i found this very fun it was really it's it's kind of a it's it's challenge in its own way to be able to say okay i had an idea for a character and i have no say in this really so how do i adapt to that you know, so I, I definitely think that's a challenge that all GMs and players should certainly embrace because I loved it. No, it can be a lot of fun. It can be, yeah, it's a good, it's a good way to grow as a player. Yeah. Yeah. To not, to not be making all the choices, to, to kind of go with what you've got. Uh, okay, so let's, let's give this thing a grade. I'm going to give this thing a pass. I would say this uh, satisfies the, that need for a modern game. I, I don't think a high pass with me would be something that uh, a little less hard on the GM. Uh, yeah, so it gets a solid pass for me. It's, it's a quality system. It's going to give up for the people who, who want that modern gaming or want just a kind of standard rule set. It's going to give them a lot of good times. Nathan, what do you say? I give this a pass. I think my personal feelings on the game are good, but not wow worthy. I feel like it's, I think it's solid and I think people are going to get a lot of miles out of it and it's really useful and good at what it does. But, um, I do kind of still feel like every now and then there are a couple rough edges here or there or a couple cumbersome parts or whatever that really just kind of keep it away from that high pass for me. So a pass for me. Okay. Heidi. I give it a pass, mm, barely. Mm. Like for me, for yeah, for me, I thought this was a really fun game. I struggled to get into it fully, and I don't know. It has nothing to do at all with our grand leader, Adam. Right? Because oh, it's got a that, little to do with him. What are you <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Not at all. Because that dude can lead us. Like, for sure. He's easily one of the best GMs there is. Hey-o. Um, so, like, I think for me, I just kind of struggled with this one a little bit. I think, I think if we had played it longer term, I may feel differently. I'll put it that way. I think I struggled with kind of just getting into the groove of it a bit. Like, and, and I think that 
is perhaps related to the character creation being a little bit uh, like heavy handed at first. And then, cause I do think once you get into the game, it's a, a far more easier thing to, to roll with it and to go with it. I think the character creation in the beginning is a struggle. It's because there's just a lot. There's a lot of sheets involved. There's a lot of books involved. There's a lot of like, okay, you rolled for this. Now look at this and pick from this. I don't know. I am also a person, I will say this, I am also a person that uh, panics at the drive through menu. So <laughs> I am probably not, I'm probably, because this particular game was very like, oh, you roll for this, now pick from this menu of things. I struggle. Like, I am the person that I, I, I can roll up to a drive-thru. My husband makes fun of me every time because I'll roll up and he's like, what are you getting? I'm like, I don't know. I think this. And then we get up to the drive-thru and they ask and I panic and I pick something 1000% different. So, I don't know. You're not the only one. You're not the only one. That happens. Is that just, is that a me thing? Is no, you're not me? the only one. You're not the only one. Uh, <laughs> all right, Trey, what do you what do you give this thing? I'm going to give it a pass too. A very enthusiastic pass. I mean, I struggled with giving this game a high pass. I considered it very deeply giving it a high pass because all those years that I've been playing D&D, and they have been many, e- even when I was a teenager, I remember talking over with my friends the things that annoyed me about D&D. You know, and this game addresses most of them. Oh, really? Hmm. Uh, yeah. As a, as strictly as a player, I really liked this game a lot. I liked the way it was designed. It was carefully. I, I felt like there was care and time had been taken in the design of this game to work through a lot of a lot of things that maybe some other games didn't take the time to to, to work through or that they had benefited from a lot of very careful playtesting and reworking of those tables, that sort of thing. Everything just seemed to work really well. The thing that, that pulled me back from the high pass, again, was the, the amount of experience that's required from the person who's running the game. So if you have, if, if you're running a game and you have that kind of experience, then I would very much encourage you to take a look at this game if you want to run a modern game yeah this 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 one's really good i liked it a lot uh adam so i think this game system does exactly what it says it's going to do i do think it will shine with longer play but if other like widely adaptable systems like gurps or savage worlds don't hit for you check out modern age the quick starts free you know we're reviewing the core book but there's also a lot of support for it you know there's an enemies and allies book as well as a book called the companion with more meat for both players and gm and you can lift other things from other age system books um so there's a lot of support for it it's still being developed and and uh, i think it's a an easy pass i'll be pass number five wow that is a pass from all of us that's pretty good that's pretty good now Okay, well, uh, oh, and I also should mention that as a consequence of Nathan's incredible powers of vehicular manslaughter, I actually (laughs) did get to use the rules for grappling. Basically, the way it works out is that a plus one bonus on the D20 is like a five. It's like a five, a five percent increase. Do we need to stop for a minute? Do you need to go clean something up? It sounds like something fell. I'm so sorry. It's I okay. knocked over a glass of water. I'm so sorry. We can take a break. Run, we'll take a break. Good. Run, mop it up. Nope, I'm good. You oh, sure? God. No, no. Give me one second. Take your time. Go get your fanciest mop and put it on screen. That's right. Yes. I want to see that mop. Yes, mop. I'm so sorry. Adam was doing a kick job there explaining things and I f***ed it all up. 
I'm no, so well, sorry. No, you're fine. He, he, can, he can just cut the sound out. That's well, not yeah, a big well, deal. So but can we'll, you mop up your stuff? Yeah, we'll come back okay. in here, and it's just fine. We had a momentary pause. We had to go let, we had to <laughs> go right. let Nathan out of the cage <laughs> and uh-huh. take yeah. the muzzle off so he could talk to us about statics. Now, Adam, yeah. you were startled a little bit there. Do you want to take yeah. another run at it or keep the, keep the explanation you have? Yeah. Well, it's fine because if I need to fix it in post, my voice travels with me anywhere I go, so oh, I can record if I need. That's that's fine. Nice. Thank you. I hardly ever borrow it, so. 